When you are on the shooting position, you are the loneliest person in the world. You don't need others, but you cannot learn without the other. I think no excuse uh, to say now we have Corella, I can do anything because the hall is closed. So, if you want to practice, practice. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tokskai Inside Look podcast. Today we're speaking with Felix Hofsense from Hamburg, Germany. Hofsensei has been training for over 51 years, during which time he achieved the rank of Kyoshi Lokudan from All Japan Kudo Federation and was instrumental in the spreading of Budo, specifically Kudo, in Germany and Europe. Hofsensei led the founding of the first Kudo group in Germany in 1969, the European Kudo Federation in 1980, the German Kudo Federation in 1994, was the Taikai coordinator of the European Kudo Federation for 28 years and a member of the founding committee of the International Kudo Federation, sitting as the director for the first 10 years of experience. Hofsensei is also the author of one of the preeminent books on Kudo internationally, called Kudo the Way of the Bow. It was such an inspiring experience speaking with Hofsensei as he shared his Budo experience that spans five decades, always maintaining the same beginner's mind and passion for the practice. His resume of achievements seems superhuman, and yet he comes across as the most humble, kind, and generous human being you could talk to. This conversation has lessons for any Budo practitioner, young and old. And I've no doubt that the more we follow Hof Sensei's example, the better our world will be. So, without further ado, here's Felix Hof Sensei. My name is Felix Hof. I'm meanwhile 75 years old. I was born in Italy during the last day of the war. And then my mother went with me to a little city in North Germany. There I grew up, and when I was 17, I changed to the city of Hamburg. During that time, last years in the school, I got somehow in touch with, let's say, very general other thinking methods. And I was fascinated about Indian philosophy, and、uh, it was a new world, a new universe, how you can think about man, world, and everything, so, which was completely different to a little town where, of course, people had a typical, let's say, a little bit narrow life. So when I came to Hamburg, I used different libraries to inform me, and then Of course, I read also something about Buddhism, and then I read this famous book from Eugen Herigel, Zen and the Art of Archery. And somehow this touched me, and I said, "Okay, let's do this. This sounds good." I read many books, and I found out, yeah, books is good, but everything is based on practice and not on reading. <laughs> so I had suddenly this decision to start. And in that book, there was. It was 1964. It was written that 135,000 copies to Germany, and then I thought, in, in face of this number, there must be somewhere who is practicing. They also, Herrige was a German, but then I found out nobody was practicing this, and everybody reads this book. A certain group of people know about this, and I went to the Japanese General Consulate and I asked,、uh, "Do you know something about Kudo?" And they said, "What is this?" And I said, "Yeah." Japanese archery, and then they said to me, "Is there any difference?" <laughs> so <laughs> I was really a little bit lost, and it seems that it was not possible. So I wrote to the editor. They said Herigel died already in the fifties. He has no relatives, no heritage. So, <clears throat> and in this book, it was also mentioned that、uh, judo and kendo are also ways. 
the typical do understanding. And then I looked for Kendo, but it was the same problem. Nobody was doing Kendo. And finally, I, I end up in Judo and did this. But uh, this question was always continuing. And by some chances, I had the contact uh, by Judo to the university in Paris. And there was already a Kendo club. So I was fascinated and I traveled several times to Paris and then I started Kendo there on a very simple way, just with a book in a hand and a shinai. It was difficult to get the equipment. So um, when you want to order, you have to write a letter in Japanese. But I, I cannot speak Japanese very little, but not write kanjis and so on. Finally, some of these people in Paris managed to find a dealer in Kyushu and he replied and said, yeah, we will send you something. But then nothing happened. After one year, I said, okay, I send the money. They don't reply my letters. So I was disappointed. And in that moment, Inagaki Sensei approached in Hamburg. This was a co-accident of many things. I will not go for details. Some years before, Mr. Onuma, who is also quite famous in the non-Japanese Kyoto community because he wrote two books in English. He was also able to speak English very good. And he had visited Europe in 1967, reported about that in uh, the Kyoto Renmei's magazine. Hidagaki Sensei had read this and he was a mechanical engineer. And when he was a student, Germany was a kind of Shangri-La for engineers so in that time, in the 20th of the last century. And he always wanted to visit Germany. And by chance, one uh, student at Waseda University, one German, he had started Kudo in the club. They became in a kind of sensei kohai relationship. And finally, I would say they become friend. And then he said, okay, you guide me when I make a travel to Germany. And he asked Mr. Onuma where were his contacts in Europe and there were two places where he had brought some bows and one was Hamburg. And Inagaki Sensei finally got in contact with these people and they said, oh, if you come here, it would be nice if we can also learn a little bit Kudo. Could you make an introduction course? I was during my student time working as a judo trainer and then one lady, I was always talking about Kendo and Kudo and other Budo. One lady said to me, oh, once you said it is so difficult, but next to my ground, someone is running in a such long shirt with a long bow. Is it that Kudo? And I said, what? Here in Hamburg, impossible. But it was so. Next morning I was there and somehow we, it's difficult to describe. It's a kind of feeling when you see um, he was already hunchy and so it's done. I had at once the feeling this is a man who can do what he talks. And I trust him unbroken. And so we, and I had from the, I was at the army before I studied, so my physical condition was very good. And I was judo trainer, and so I had a good body shape, no, to stand straight, etc. So I, I had a good fulfillment. The other members of this course were mainly from social medicine societies, a lot of doctors and psychologists, and so people who are sitting all the time on a writing desk, so neck was round. <laughs> so, and I, I, I talked some few words Japanese, and then these 
people thought because we start a kind of con conversation, mixed English, Japanese, German, and practicing the first, I said, so and then Inagaki was going on to the next step, next step. And the other were still practicing the number one or two. So they had the feeling that we know each other from Tokyo, but this was not the case. But then I invited him to my Jew-dojo to give a talk, and all my Yudo disciples were informed about this, and they informed other people. Astoundingly, about 200 people were sitting on the tatami when he came, and then we said, oh, if the interest for Kyudo is so big, how to continue? And she was accompanied by one assistant, Mr. Shinkai from Vasila University, and there was a little whisper between them. And this was something like, I, I know your boss. I tell him, you stay longer here. But to Shogatsu to New Year, you are back to Japan. They had traveled with the Trans-Siberian Railway. So one way was 10 days by railway, plus the ship from uh, Shavarovsk to, to Japan. And then uh, from Moscow, they took a plane to uh, Germany. So a long journey. So this Mr. Shinkai stayed here and continued the practice. And from this about 30 people who had been in this introduction course, we were suddenly only three. And after three weeks, three weeks, we were only two. But we practiced with him. And then he went back to Japan. And we just practiced what we have learned at this time. This was a shooting in front of the store. But so two meter distance, just the form, just releasing the arrow in this near uh, target. And we just repeated the basic technique, so the keyhole. We didn't know anything about distance and how it works and what kind of equipment you need for, for distance shooting and so on. So the, we, were, we were quite naive, but it was so exciting to experience the body through this uh, principle of Kyudo that we were completely satisfied, although we repeated just these eight basic steps. We, I wrote from time to time to Inagaki Sensei, and at that time uh, there was no video. We took photos, put them in an envelope, sent them to Japan by airmail. Inagaki Sensei made some lines into the photo. Red was wrong and green was okay. and wrote some comments and after six weeks we received our correction. So this, this was a way of learning, which shows you have to have a certain enthusiasm and, and, and endurance to continue like this. But we, we kept this connection for three years and 72 he came the second time again to Europe and then we started with Mato shooting, so the 28 meter distance and so on. And then by and by, we approached the Kyudo as you can find it in Japan. It was quite interesting how we approached and Inagaki Sensei in this second seminar, he made a quite interesting speech in which he mentioned that in all time, the main problem samurai had was to overcome the fear of their own death. There were soldiers and when they are tunas, the landlord said, go to battlefield, they go, but they don't know whether they could come back. So, and this question, of course, there are different techniques, let's say mental training uh, to say, how can I uh, build up a training which gives me a relative security to survive? 
And we wrote this uh, speech down, it was translated. And then I said, oh, he had in a way, the Hanya Shingyo, the famous Heart Sutra, adapted to Kyudo. He, he told us that the, the most things are empty and you must not have fear and so on. And, and that was quite interesting. Another part besides the joy of shooting and hitting the target and so on, that there was a strong mental component which trains you not only just for the, let's say a certain standing in a competition or in an examination, but very generally for your whole life. This was a part of the Kyudo which always convinced me. And so from that seminar on, Nagaki Sensei came every summer to Europe, except one time when he was in the hospital until he passed. This was uh, 1995. So 26 years I could be his disciple. During that time, I went also, of course, quite often to Japan first time 76 and then every year sometimes two times three times per year the group in hamburg uh, finally had grown a little bit and we had made some demonstration for example there was a karate taikai or was a judo taikai and somebody said oh let's show this uh, other very seldom to see japanese art of kudo and this was reported and suddenly there were some pictures about that in the Euro magazine and other, the, oh, there's Kyudo in Hamburg. Then people from other uh, towns came and requested and so we did 74, the first introduction course and this was also the start for the um, section Kyudo within the German Judo Federation. At that time the Judo Federation was the umbrella organization for all Budo. And then we became, we were recognized and became an own section, also a budget for our training and so on. Then we made quite systematically uh, seminars to introduce Kudo and those who had already started to continue the teaching and to go step by step further on until today. It happens by this, because Inagaki Sensei was coming every year, I think I was quite a good organizer. I was quite pragmatic in my organization, thinking I don't mix it up with other ideologies, for example, religion or too much Buddha romantic or so. So it was something which was, I would say, quite solid. People said, oh yeah, this works and they have a plan and there's a curriculum, this is understandable and so on. And by this, <clears throat> it happens that we were building, let's say, branches from Hamburg very quickly. <clears throat> and when we had uh, 25th anniversary, then we were about 750 Kudo people in Germany and this was the biggest organization outside of Japan, and we still are. Meanwhile, we have about 1,300 uh, participants. So it's compared to karate or other Budo, it's still a little number. But Kudo is in many things a little bit special, and maybe that is not so bad what we reach. So in the United States, I don't know. They started a little bit later, but there are something around 500 people after 40 years. In France, they have now 
600, 700. So, so we can say due to the permanent caretaking of Inagaki Sensei and his disciples who accompanied him, worked for him as assistants, and after he had passed, they continued the teaching. So the German Kyudo had always a good input concerning the teaching and the rest and the other part, important part for success was that the one who uh, was meeting in Araki Sensei 66 already in Waseda and was student there, he could speak Japanese very good and therefore we had always a real good translation. This is one point um, I noticed this again and again when the European Kuro Federation was founded, that the translation of the Budo is really an important point. So people, when they do not understand what is going on, they start to make their own ideology about this, or they, they, they said, oh, in Western archery, it is so and so, and then they adapt things like they mix it up, and finally they spoil the whole thing. We had already, I would say, around 72 heard that there is in France and Sweden also some people working with a bow and there was the idea born because of course even the German group was about at that time maybe 80, 100 people. We were able to invite the teacher to pay the ticket, to pay his stay, etc. But the other groups, they had 20 or 30 people and it was simply too much. So we had the idea, if we join together and make an European event then and share the expenses, then it is good for all. <clears throat> but uh, the first trial to unite existing countries failed for different reasons. Uh, but however, this idea was going on and 1979, we there were some more countries practicing Kuro meanwhile in Europe. We tried to contact each other and had finally the idea to join together and build up a European Kuro Federation. So this was finally done in 1980. Um, and um, from 76, I was, as I said, uh, regularly in Japan. In the beginning, it was quite difficult because the Kuro Renme, when they saw me, I was 31 year old, wearing blue jeans, had a beard. And they don't believe that I'm the chairman. I was too young. I looked too much like an artist or something like that in their view. So they always were quite polite, but they hesitated to do something. Finally, it became a little bit better. And then uh, we negotiated also with the Kuro Renmi and then they said, okay, we understand that you group together and then it's also for us interesting to go to Europe and not only to one country. So 1980, together with the foundation of the European Kuro Federation, the first European seminar uh, was held. And from that time, let's say more or less every year, such an event took place. This was a good promotion for Kyoto, also for the little countries. And in the context with the seminars, it was possible to make done examination and the instruction with, which are adequate for the different levels. So it took a time until, of course, this first generation, for example, like Liam O'Brien, me and some other 
we were instructing people. We I received Godan in 1980 also, and before I did other Great, but of course, uh, with the Sundown, you are not an instructor in Japan, for example. So, but the Sundown was here already a king, <laughs> a hero, and everybody said, "Oh, you are already Sundown." But of course, if you look back, then you say, "Yeah, okay, uh, this was at that time the highest level, and we know the basic technique. We try to show it, but of course, also our knowledge was limited." And so it, it took a time until we became, for example, Reggie, so the first level where you are uh, accepted as an instructor. There were three Europeans who got it in Japan, and I was the first who got it in Europe, 1991. And so by and by from this group of the Shogo, also a kind of cooperation happened. Sometimes not so easy, you know, there were different styles in the Kyudo. Sometimes this question of style was put very much in the foreground. Renmi had, well, the standard form, which covered no, not all the demands of the different people. But by and by, this became, let's say, more smooth or more self-evident. And uh, finally, everybody was okay that from time to time, Every year something was in Europe and from time to time there was also an international seminar in Japan. So all this helped, of course, to develop the Kyudo development in, in Europe, but also in, meanwhile in other parts of the world. So my role in this is that I was one of the dinosaurs of the <laughs> European Kyudo and so many people who had experienced me during that seminar, they asked me, oh, could you make a seminar in our country? We have many beginners, etc., etc." So I traveled to many European countries, not as a, let's say, permanent sensei, because uh, my style is Hikiryu uh, inside heart, that what Inagaki sensei was teaching and other people, so 50% are doing shumen, Uchiyo Koshi, that's the style the Kyurenmi is uh, offering. Or some of them I've also contact to Ongasawara uh, Ryu, very few have also contact to Honda Ryu. Of course, on the level of competition, level of examination, the ANKF, Nippon Kyuru Federation style is a standard for all. So <clears throat> this I tried to introduce to these people until they were, let's say, strong enough to have an instructor and do the teaching in their country by themselves or they invite also others. In, because the German Cure Federation was quite successful, I was president for 28 years. So people always ask me also how to build up an organization, about what we have to take care. And of course, this is a little bit difficult to reply because the legal side is in each country a little bit different. So, but I try to help the groups to build it up to, to have an, let's say, almost democratic organization. This was one of the big problems again, or is still, that there is, let's say, the side of teaching, which is based on seniority or on grade and title. And then you have the administrative side in each organization where, where you simply have to make a good administration according to law or 
according to tax office, etc., like this. So these are different um, demands, and yeah, to make it successful is also up to the people to take care about this. So they, they, they should not become, let's say, a kind of Tuno Sama or a modern Shogun or so when they got a federation. So this is bad for the development. So, But I know that in many groups, they have, a, I think in my eyes, a little bit strange orientation in Budo that they said, automatically the oldest has to be the president. And so even when Maybe it's a good archer, but a lousy, lousy administrator, or some people react very autocratic and always ask, ask for obedience with no reason, because just they have the higher grade. This is things I'm very much in doubt about this. The point is that from the Japanese side, they do not interfere in this. This is, let's say, the inner European affair or that's the affairs in the specific country how they find solution, finally it's up to them. So I give my advice or work as a kind of counselor, but it's up to them what they do. And uh, if they are wise, they think intensively before they write something down. <laughs> but I would say there were also a lot of situations where it has been successful. And so if I look back, I would say, yeah, this, this was mostly a good job. But in some cases, people have very, what the Japanese call jibun kata, so very egoistic or very individual views on things. And then some people stop the judo because they said, with this attitude, with this behavior of our leader, I cannot if this, this gives me trouble. And then they leave. So that, that's a pity. But Anyhow, we, are, we have such circumstances. That's life all and everywhere, not only in Kyudo. And I could only hope that the people, what is one of the goal of Kyudo, to overcome your egoism and to look what the situation is and then be attentive and then talk and find the best solution. If people think only their thinking is the best solution and they are stubborn or not very flexible, then it is very difficult. I have a question around that. Yeah, this is a problem that plagues any type of organization, any volunteer organization, yeah. any Buddha organization. The only reason you're able to spread Kudo in Germany and Europe and be able to grow is if you found people that are able to overcome that. So you yourself... You sound like someone that is able to set your ego aside, but maybe you can give us a couple of examples of people that you've helped nurture, people that you've identified either in Germany or in other countries that you say, okay, this person has the right type of mindset that I think I, I need to help him or her become a leader in this area because we need that person. Do you have any examples of people like that that you've helped to bring up? Well, I, I would not call names. I think that's... that's... It's not so good, but some people have a certain image about this, for example, that, yeah, the seniority is all and everything. And some people went to Japan to had the chance to take examination. Other cannot afford a journey to Japan for what reason ever. They have a new family. They built a house, they had a mortgage to serve, uh, such things. 
so they cannot make the examination. And then, of course, they get a little bit envy or this creates friction and so on. And we try always also to talk with the Kuro-Nenmi about this to make the things more easy and to take care about that. For example, the European Kyoshi, for example, they all have six stars and some of them have seven stars. They are still not allowed to do examination here. So this was a permanent fight with the Kuro-Nenmi or fight is perhaps not the wrong word, but an endless discussion with no result which is a little bit difficult. And I know that some people really were in that feeling, yeah, when I cannot take this examination, the other will be graded and not me, I'm the permanent beginner and they had some bad feelings. So, so it was one part just to encourage people and say you can practice Kyoto even when you are not participating in this part of the system. You can do it for yourself, you can have to say it a little bit uh, it. you can have your fun in the practice of Kudo and it is not the question of uh, title or so. Of course, this is, gives a certain reference concerning the teaching, but this is not a guarantee. And finally, if you look to Kudo, we have this so-called eight Hasetsu, the eight basic steps. These eight basic steps were made from a fifth cue until a hanshi. There's nothing so that the hanshi has to stand on one leg or thing while he is shooting or something special. It's, it's exactly from the surface, exactly the same. Of course, there are qualities also in the movement where you can say, okay, the, there's a bigger refinement or better coordination and so on. But anyhow, there's nothing which is very attention calling and say, oh, this, this, this is really great. And it is a point that people, although it is not so spectacular, you simply practice this and it should be enough. It's already difficult enough also. <laughs> when you do it, you find out. And therefore, it is good, of course, if there is a certain guidance and are certain ideas. But finally, I think like in Buddhist teaching, where you don't have to believe anything. You should take a teaching, you should prove it, you should find what is possible for me. How can I fulfill this? What are the requirements? Do I need a personal guidance? Or can I be a little bit like Sisyphus rolling the stone up the mountain and drops down again and again and again and again? So this permanent repetition is very typical for Buddha, whether you make endless suburis with the Shinai or Uchikomi in Yudo or so. So repetition and reflect your repetition and, and go on. And I think the point is that if people go always back to their situation and say, the here and now shows me that what I had done before is perhaps not so efficient or not so, optim not so optimal, that you learn from it and then make changes. Very often changes are possible, but then people said, no, there is a rule or in the Hagakure is this and that, that and so, and they, they make laws which are sizzled in stone <laughs> out of it, but they are not so. Finally, everything is man-made, everything comes from your mind and you should be willing to change. If this is possible, then you can, of course, change also organizations. Of course, when the organization is very young, they just started, they had a lot of difficulties. And so you improvise a lot of things. 
when Japanese groups, for example, came in the beginning to my dojo, then they said, oh, in Japan, this is different. And I simply say, yeah, of course, but you are not in Japan and we have not that choice. For example, very simple things that is so-called Azuchi, that's this uh, area where the target is pushed on. And usually in Japan, it is earth or sand. But when you are using a gymnasium hall, you cannot bring some cubic meter sand for two hours training in and take them out afterwards. So, so you, you do something different. For example, like what the Western archers are using, some, some plastic background or simply straw butts from the harvester machine. So then they say, yeah, this looks not so nice like in Juchi. Okay, then you have the choice. You skip it because it doesn't look like, or you do it with the possibilities you have. Maybe after a certain time, for example, in my case, we, when I was several times in Japan and also other people, then we said, okay, we are shooting in gymnasium halls or we had at that time an old uh, hospital, which was not used and we shot over the corridor because this was long enough that, well, compared to a dojo, this is really lousy. We have to build a dojo. <laughs> So we started to collect money and finally we built the dojo mostly by our own work and that we had a dojo. And of course, this was already more or less like in Japan. And then people said, oh yeah, you have a dojo and we still have to shoot in a training hall. And so yeah, well, it doesn't make bomb and then it falls from the heaven and it's ready there. You have to do something for this. And then you change and then it's maybe like in Japan and uh, nobody said, oh, this is so different. So it's a question of development and also the fun to develop is also to find solutions in between until maybe you have an identical situation like in a Japanese dojo. But all this takes time and effort and well, people have to be willing and to, to do this and to be not too much disappointed that not, not everything is ready. The Japanese do not help that, that they should be interested that we are doing it. Why don't they spend equipment? Why don't they make those things for free? We said, well, Inagaki Sensei, he was, maybe he saw our efforts and was touched by that. And then he felt obligated to come again and again. Which, is, which was okay, but expect that everybody does this. So he, he had a, at the time when I uh, started to know him, he had a little factory. He was economically completely independent. He was the first professor for Kyudo at the Tokyo Kyoiko Daigaku and later in the school at university. This was Kyudo within the sports teacher's education. So not Kyudo as Kyudo, so, but with this context. So other people who are doing Kyudo in Japan who work as employees or even when they are doctors or so, they cannot take off from work when they want. So it's, it's not possible. So we had a little luck with him. And those who had contact with Unuma Sensei, it was more or less the same situation. He had this Kyudo shop in Japan. And when you make a tour, he can sell also a lot of equipment. So it was a win-win <laughs> situation. The other senses, they had their obligations also in Japan and only because some people are doing cure in Europe, they, they would just stop all and everything in Japan just to teach us. So, so therefore, the Japanese observed this all the time and it 
when it was okay, they said, oh yeah, 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 you are on the right track. Maybe not everything ready, but the direction is okay. So it was recognized. And then in the beginning of the 19th, we said, okay, we need also help from institutions or in some countries as a ministry of sports and said, okay, we would like to give you some subsidy, but are you a sport or what are you? Are you a kind of religion? I remember when I asked to make a section Kudo within the German Judo Federation, they didn't know what Kudo is and then they contacted through the old German Sports Federation, the Japanese Sports Federation, and they contacted the Renmi. And then they replied, Kudo is the Zen in a standing form. This was the reply of the Japanese. And then they looked to the dictionary and said, oh, the Zen sitting meditation or Zen Buddhist. No, no, that's not sport. We, we will not give any support to free churches. This was the answer I have received. I said, well, that's maybe a big misunderstanding. Of course, there's concentration. You have to keep your back straight and a cultural background, which maybe is in the Zen and Kudo very similar or very near together. But it is not Zen Buddhism. It is Kudo. Kudo is Kudo and has no religious intention. So. But also other groups have such difficulties that they argue what is Kudo or what is good for is a competition. I said, yeah, not until now. So when we made the first European competition, it was 80, uh, 1989. So 20 years after the Kudo started in, in Europe, it was a quite long development because everybody said, nah, Kudo is something holy and competition is bad and so it doesn't go together. And I always said, look to the Renmi magazine, 80% of the articles are reports from competitions over. How could you say as a European competition is bad and the Japanese do it? And write to the Renmi president and said, you make a terrible mistake, you allow competition in the Kudo. <laughs> So it, it took a time until the people were convinced. But then we had this competition. It was also first time here in Hamburg. I was promoting this. I became the so-called Taika coordinator in the European Kudo Federation. And then we said, okay, it would help organizations, for example, if there's something like a world championship. This gives always a kind of seriousness for let's say, the sport ministry. They, they, they don't ask, what is Kudo and what would you learn? They, they, they said, oh, what are the conditions? And they compared always with other sports. So we asked the Japanese, could we do anything on international level? And they were hesitating very much. And then 1992, we had the first international Kudo Taikai Miyakunojo. Then, then first time Americans, Amer Europeans and Japanese come together. And this happened four times, but the first World Championship happened 2010. You see, it took a long time from the start of Kudo, 16, let's say in the 17th, early 17th in different countries in Europe. Then the first European 89, then Miyakunojo first time, 91 or 92, I don't know exactly, but then the first World Championship 2010. So also for the Japanese, it was quite difficult to accept and, and nobody knows how to do. And 
what does it mean and what are the feelings? And everybody said, yeah, when we make competition, then we become Olympic, but judo is completely different. And there's bad development. We can see it in judo and karate. Finally, it ends up as a mere sport. As you know, in the late 80s, Nippon Budokan had a committee and finally uh, they had worked on the so-called Budo Kensho, the Budo Kata, because they wanted to set something against this development, uh, how people in the West created their own Budo and it was not published very much from their side. And it, it is still so that many people don't know these six articles from the Budo Kensho which is, I think, in my view, a little bit sad because then you still have this thinking about Japan. Every Buduka is a kind of samurai or so, but not all, all samurai were superheroes. Uh, some of them were quite unpolite, rough, cruel guys. <laughs> so when you read Daisen Taizaro Suzuki, sometimes you have the feeling samurais are people who are sitting under cherry blossom trees and write poems, but as you know, it was not the case, there were warriors. And of course, there was a nobility, a top class of samurai who were very well literated and had contact to Zen people and other artists. So they, they had other kind of thinking. But this is also a part of Buddha. So I think this is one of the big problems when people focus on one point and take it as an absolute truth, then they do not learn. From that moment, they started to know it is so. And I had a lot of discussion with people and said, well, what kind of samurai are you meaning? The bushi from Kamakura time or the samurai in Tokugawa time? Or what? do you know the background? Do you know the thinking method? Tokugawa brought in the Neo-Confucianism and the five classes of people and so there were so many developments in that, let's say, about 800 years history on Budo, that it is a little bit naive to say, I picked one point and then that is it. And we in our club do exactly that. So I think this could run only to misunderstanding. So it was very often for me, coming back to your question, a point to say, don't make a self-made background. There is a background, there is a history in the different Budo and follow more this and also accept what the today, the, uh, the Gendai Budo, the contemporary Budo is in Japan, how it is practiced and look how you can adapt this to your country and where are the overlapping points that you with your culture have some benefit from training method which was invented some hundred years before. That's great. So, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to dig into a few pieces. It seems like overall, based on what we've been talking about so far, there's this theme around if nothing exists, you have to do it yourself. You have to put in the hard work. You have to make yourself responsible. And from when they listen and when they see all the things that you've achieved, some people might feel like, oh, it sounds like it's very easy, while other people would sound like, oh, only a special human being is able to do this. I won't be able to do this. So I would love for I'm you to- I'm not a special being, but it was my decision. So I, I, I was somehow enthusiastic. And the point was that something was going on. And even when there were little successes, it gave me always a certain joy 
that the things were in a country of development. So I didn't stick too much to, let's say, the good old times or something like that. So there's in Japan this saying, Harikigare. So if you have learned something, it might be good for a time being and for certain circumstances. And then it's also possible to throw it away and on the experience you had done to build up something which is better or you have new questions from the organization side, from the teaching or whatever. It is never something which is fixed. And I think that's one important part also in the mental training, not to be stick to something. That the things are in a certain flow that you are going finally from moment to moment, try to take the here and now as it is. So maybe I had built the dojo. Yeah, I did. So And I worked maybe 1,000 hours on weekends and during my holidays to plug the walls and things like that. But it's over. So there is not a real merit. The, the, the dojo was there, then it was done. Okay, ready. Next. <laughs> and so also with other things, I do Kudo now 51 years. And when I started, I was a young man, still a student. And today I'm a pensioner, so I, I have other experiences. Meanwhile, if I would stick to the, let's say, good old fresh times when we started, it was there and it's a kind of memory, but it has not so much weight. In, in my present, many things are going on and I have not always to look back and say, yeah, once upon a time there was everything nice and so on. Of course, when you look back, you can always give the intention that all the things who run well were from the beginning of your plan. But many things happened just by chance or coincidentally and suddenly there was another person now suddenly somebody was willing to give you money to build something or things like this. Many things were not foreseen, but I think I took the chances when they came and if not, no, then I have to wait or I have to work a little bit longer. <laughs> and therefore, you know, these Japanese have a word, so nichi nichi koyitsu. Uh, that means every day is a good day. So, so, And yesterday is over and last week is for sure over. And when the future, the so-called future comes, it's another here now. <laughs> so that, so I'm, I'm looking not too much forward, but in, in the present, there are always things coming up. And uh, I don't make a big speculation about this, but I observe it and try to understand connection between certain developments and if there is a chance to change something and I try it but there are often with my background of finances etc I have no chance to change it and then I have to bear it and it is as it is so that's it's okay. We had never a big sponsor, for example. So I don't know whether it's, this is bad. So, so people don't rely on someone who is always giving money or supports a dojo. Because I had seen this in some cases that people build a dojo and finally they use it as a kind of place where everybody had to worship these people because they had built the dojo and so they always want to sit on the honorary seat in the dojo and everybody said ah it's he without him and then they grow <clears throat> but sometimes it's good if the things are not so 
demand depending on on person or things like this so that, that's what i meant my organization was done more pragmatic so i i looked to circumstances as they are and said okay there is this in germany a system where because sport is kind of let's say youth education and therefore it is supported and this support is based on this subsidiary principles so the question was can we use this one point for example in germany is not in all european countries but when you have a club not something too special quite ordinary club registered by law etc if you fulfill this then you can ask to use a gymnasium hall if it's free for free you must pay any rent so this is a big help in other european countries the community charged per hour 30 euros or something like this. Doesn't matter whether there's one person doing practicing or 10, always 30 euro per hour. So therefore I said, okay, if we want to build up Kudo, we have to use this system because we can use the money for other things. So people can buy equipment or can travel for seminars, which is already more effort than what, for example, people who practice Kudo or Karate have to do. When, when you practice judo in Hamburg, they have uh, more than 50 clubs here and adequate organization for teaching. You must not travel. You can go with the uh, public traffic to all important points. Of course, there were also curses on all country levels, so for the top trainers, etc. But when you start, it is easy. For judo, it was always difficult. People have to travel by car hundreds of kilometers. For example, even from South Germany, for example, Munich, 800 kilometers away, people came from time to time, one time in a month to Hamburg to, to have some instruction from my side. So when I see this kind of enthusiasm of people that they are willing to take such a burden, then also I try to be in my teaching fair and said, okay, I pay it back with a certain attention and okay, they are enthusiastic in Kudo, me too, and I see it from that attitude and then we grow together and this makes also, let's say, a kind of community or feeling in the community that we say, okay, we are pulling on the same rope and also on the same end. <laughs> not one person here and the other there. It is not in all cases like this, but I would say 70% are in a good cooperation. Some people like to be very special, but well, uh, the question is whether they, I'm willing to give too much energy in this exception. And finally, they can do what they want and one day they have no perspective anymore and then, then it's also okay. Maybe then they come back, then they have learned something. But <clears throat> I think it is necessary not only to look to your own development um, in Kudo, you also to take at least in mind your dojo community or then maybe in your federal state in Germany or the whole country or maybe Europe, they'll say, yeah, we all work somehow together also. I can always say, no, this is not good for me. I want to have it this and so and so and so. I always ask for exception. But if you can accept that something is organized, which is good for many people, then it can't be too bad. <laughs> maybe not a clear answer for you, but <laughs> uh, is this okay so? Yeah, when you first started, because there's so few people, you had to do a yeah. lot yourself. But then you realize that if we have more people helping, 
then we can do so much more as a group rather than individuals. So it's, it's great. We're approaching the end of the hour, but I have so many more things I would love to ask you. I don't know if you have another 10 minutes and then maybe we could do more another time. One thing I do want to touch on is just describing the, the construction of that dojo because it's so rare to have something of like that outside of Japan and then you had to do it yourself. And I would love to hear about that, but I would also love to hear about how you've seen the development of countries in Europe. You mentioned you've helped and gone to places like Finland, Lithuania, Austri Austria, Croatia. Which one of those subjects is coming to you more vividly right now? Well, as I said before, when we had this impression from Japan, how a real dojo works, um, then this idea or this desire came up and said, oh, we need a place with proper distance and where the targets are in that way, all the rules on, on, on Kudo, of course, they are based on a proper dojo. So at first we were practicing in an old hospital and there was a piece of land and we said, oh, it's big enough to make a little dojo for five targets. And in summer we could use this place, but as it is in the north of Germany, maybe the weather is more or less acceptable, something between May and October. But that doesn't mean it does not rain. It is, it is not too cold, but from October, or especially in the winter, you cannot shoot outside. This is simply not possible. So as open air ground in the summer months, it was nice to use this, but then we said, oh, we need a roof. And then we were looking for some land and we asked the city, is there some sports ground? or some so-called green area where we can make a Q-Dojo. Of course, we asked ourselves, how can we finance it? What do we need and uh, what is the minimum on money we need? And so we had finally the idea, okay, we raise the monthly fee and collect money for two or three years. And when we start, we obligate each other to build 80 hours. So by this calculation, plus some subsidy or some credit, some loans from the, the city, there's the no interest charge, they give you the money. And of course you have to pay back, but there's no interest charge compared to a bank. And say, okay, then it is possible. And then finally, after many uh, up and downs, we found a ground almost, I will not say in the center of the city, but really a central place that's, that's good from all sides the people can come there's good connection with public traffic so that's okay and then we looked at the money we had to that time and say okay we have to dig the foundation by ourselves machines or a company that's too expensive so we took a spade and digged the foundation wow. and uh, we made everything let's say in a very simple way none of us really none of us were a craftsman or from the construction business. So we had two architects in, in our club. The rest were teachers, doctors, I don't know, all kind of profession, but nobody was really uh, skillful with these things. Maybe for their own hobby or in your own garden. But the architect said, okay, you have to do it so and so, and that's the way you should do it. And then we did it. And we worked like medieval age. We had no electric saw, we did it by the hand and so on. Until we finally got also some electric connection on that ground. There was nothing. It was an old 
non-used parking place where we said, okay, take off the trees and bushes and then make a foundation and then erect the building. And only the basic framework from the building, because you use a crane to bring the top bar in the building, this was done by a company. The rest, inside, outside planking, the floors, the heating, the electricity, all this was done by members. So I learned a lot of things that I had never done before. And finally, this dojo was ready. It was simple, but it was from the, from the look, it was very Japanese already. We had a nice floor, a parquet floor, which looks very noble. <laughs> the rest was made of wood. That has two reasons. One was because it is so-called green area where you are not allowed to build permanent houses. So it must be a building which you can easily turn down. So we have to build in wood. But this was a benefit. We, we could plank by plank, we could nail it to the bus and then next weekend, the next square meter. So, and also the roof laying and everything was done by ourselves. The heating situation was a little bit difficult. That means not very effective. <laughs> but even in winter, we could shoot there. And by and by, of course, we got more members and the dojo was there. And, ah, I have to say, it was not only the, we had in our club because I was doing uh, Kendo and Kyudo and Yado. So these three groups, they built this dojo. So we were all together 80 people at that time. And of course, this work was judged as, uh, let's say, a kind of financial support by ourselves. And those who had no time to do it, they had to pay uh, 10 German markets per hour. So if, if you cannot... Uh, do anything on the construction ground, then you pay 800 German mark or maybe only 40 euros plus 400. So it, this was a way. So it, it was possible to do it. And within one and a half years, this building was finally ready and we could use it. And by and by, we made some things better. And uh, let's say in many details, there were a lot of refinement and it was not bad. And then 1900. <clears throat> Uh, 96, somebody in December made an arson and the whole building burned down. Oh no. Why? We don't know. There were, was some pyromanic person running in that quarter around several places. Uh, they laid fire and the police said, oh, it's the same pattern like in these other locations. So luckily we were insured and the insurance company was quite generous, I would say. And then we changed the dojo and said, okay, we learned something from the first construction and we want to make this and this a little bit different when we rebuilt it. And they agreed. And so one year later, we had the dojo, as you can see it today on our webpage, so Alstadoyo EV. Um, then we enlarged it because the money, we want to have a second hall besides the first. And we had already enough money, but when this arson happened, the building was completely destroyed. Then we used that money also to make a better version, better heating and so on. That now it's just really very good. And anyhow, we had more and more members because the dojo was an attractive place. And people said, oh yeah, to practice here is much different than a gymnasium hall. This real Japanese feeling. And so by the membership fees, we had a good income. And then five years later, we built also the second hall and made also some other enlargement in, in the building. 
So now we are at the limit, and this club has about 300 members in total. And so half of them is Kendo, half Kudo, and a little small group, Yaido. And there are also eight people who are practicing Hosuin Soyutsu, so the spear fighting. Therefore, I think the dojo, as uh, Budokenshu said, is a special place. And the second point is the teaching. And I think we have in Kudo, and, but also in Kendo, there are seniors who can teach in a proper way. And this convinces people also. Therefore, I would say roundabout, it's not so different compared to a local dojo in Japan. Of course, we were as a Kenon Q Dojo one of the first in Europe, and many people came, and a lot of seminars and other events happened in this dojo. So, and this gives also the idea to other groups to build their own dojo. So, this was not intended, but it happened. So, and they say, oh, they have system, they can go every day, even in the school. Uh, when you use a school gymnasium hall, of course, in the summer holidays, they close and they have no training. Oh, they have everyday training all the year. So I think now we have in Germany about 10 dojo. Three are almost in the same size. Some others are smaller, but also the city and the Kyoto group is smaller. So this feeling that you need for your practice also a proper place was developed and then the people made the best of it and it was a kind of model learning you could say <laughs> and the same happened of course also in other countries when they had seen it in japan or here then this wish to have a proper q dojo soon or later it is there <laughs> if you find a chance to realize it then i think people do it i know from people who are for example bought a little old farm in the country house just for leisure reasons and then they took the barn and changed it to a Q-dojo or something like that. So, you know, sometimes just for three or five people, but well, better than nothing. It's good. Yeah, and what a way to bring people together to have you all build something that you can all share. And you had to learn how to bring electricity there. You had to learn how to bring piping, plumbing. Yes. To the building, all that from scratch. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, well, the, that's that's another kind of adventure. So, I was always touched by one sentence. I, maybe I cannot cite it quite properly, but Miyamoto Musashi, the famous sweat hero from Japan, he said, "If you are attentive, you can master any art. So, if you start, you will make experience, and you can learn from it, and then you develop it." Of course, I would not run a plumbing company, but I know to to do it. <laughs> and on the other hand, I would say, oh, one time is enough, so I, I must not <laughs> do it again and again, so because I can do it. But that, that's this was some point and say, okay, I, we want to have a certain atmosphere and a certain way, and then nobody will spend this, so we have to make our own facilities. If we want to have something like this, then starts this. This is a part of the practice also to say, I take care about that. You know? Yeah, that is so inspiring. I want to, <laughs> listening, listening to your story right now, it's possible, but understanding that it's something that you have to commit to for years to be yeah, able to get but, done. Yeah. yeah. And also this contact to other countries, it, it happens. I did not very much for that. So I, I met people 
they received my teaching and they said, okay, I can understand you or you are quite clear or you are very methodically and say, okay, if you are satisfied, come again. I will not say, I will not teach you or you have to do special things. No, if you are willing to learn, why not? So it gives me experience. Also, I learn a lot from beginners. I do all the beginner courses in our dojo again and again. None is the same. Every, every year I change a little bit. And that's quite interesting to be in this kind of flow. And when I went first time, it was also in one judo magazine. It, it was a photo of me, some demonstration somewhere. And then someone in Finland who had ordered this German judo magazine saw, uh, ah, they have judo in Germany. And then he contacted me and came over. I showed it to them and then suddenly there were, I don't know, 10 people and said, oh, that looks great and we want to do it also. Could you come again? So it happens. And I said, okay, that enriches me also this kind of encounter. It's also a challenge to say, okay, suddenly I have to teach in English and I have to deal with a complete different mentality. Finnish people, very calm, very serious, of course, when you know Finland, it's so dark and from in, in, in the winter time. So sometimes you think everybody is depressed and suddenly you come with a, such a concept like Kuro and the people um, find some sense in it. Or maybe I gave them some, some sense. It doesn't matter. I think it's something which goes in a, in a dialogic way. So you offer something if you feel a response or a kind of resonance, then those things started to run. And then it is exciting in which direction. The contact to Italy was, uh, since he once brought one assistant with him and he stayed longer time in Germany, went to a language school and there he met an Italian lady and they married finally. And then he changed to Italy and was the founder of the first North Italian group. And they had a spread almost in the same way. And Austria was also, Austrian came to German seminars and said, yeah, I'm a Western archer. I read Harry's book, but now I can see it. Or could you teach me? And said, yeah, we can. And then they invited me to Austria and an introduction course and yeah, 50% dropped out and 50% continued. After one year from this 50%, another 50% were left. But there were always some people who hold the flag up and said, follow me. <laughs> and they, they have this energy or they have this kind of, maybe sometimes a little bit charisma, perhaps also. And even when they are not perfect, they are burning for the Kudo. And so that's, that's an interesting point. So same happened uh, with, uh, I did, I was invited to one Japan week and Budo event in Riga, that's Latvia. And then some people from, three people from Lithuania came and watched that. And then they wanted to start. And we were completely not, not prepared. And you start Kuro uh, with a so-called Gomu Yumi. That's a grip, like, a, like the bow grip. And then a rubber sling, which gives you a certain resistance. So they went to a painter article shop and brought some brushes and rubber strings. And then they constructed something like this and said, can we use this? We want to learn this. So I felt that they were really burning for cure. I said, okay, then let's start. Even when these circumstances are very, let's say, dubious and a little bit primitive, but now we have a 
group of under Lithuanian field Federation and the, the first world championship, they got the fourth place. Although they were quite young in Kuro, so the, the, that was quite amazing. It's okay when people get this kind, it's like a yeast in a pie, you, you know, it's, it starts to grow and <laughs> it's going on. And that's, that's nice to see. And for some reason, after I retired, I made some, let's say, contact researches and so in Thailand. And then I found out that there is in Bangkok also a little Kudu group. And one day I said, okay, uh, let's contact them how they practice. And they are really a little bit in the diaspora of all and everything. And they were quite lucky to meet me. And I said, okay, we can make a seminar together. And, and then from, I'm almost each winter in Thailand also or in Southeast Asia because there is this warm in Germany, it's not. And then I gave them a seminar. And uh, so it happens also that in Malaysia, some people who came to Bangkok met me there and then saw the things are going on. When I was in Malaysia, suddenly people from Singapore, from Hong Kong, from Taiwan came and said, we heard you make a seminar here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, can we join? And say, oh, of course, from my side, it's okay. And so it's, it's also fun to see these people from time to time again. I see and feel a big interest when I'm there, I could talk to them 24 hours. They have a lot of questions. I, I experience this and so and so and so. Could you give an answer? How are you doing? And so I found it great that uh, this kind of vivid interest is there. And so it's for me also fun to experience this. So this freshness of a new group, a new organization, that's a little bit difficult. For example, those organizations in Europe, which exist already 30, 40 years. So they are more settled and they have their rules and sometimes they stick too much to the rules, but they always return to the beginner's mind. It's, I think it's also valid for organization and, and this meeting of people. So and say, okay, the, somebody is searching, looking for something, is hoping that maybe the cure is a way which is adequate to their feeling. Whatever it is, some people come Let's say they, they have read something about Zen and then they started Kyudo. Others look to Kyudo and say, oh, it's an aesthetic movement and therefore they started. Others said, it's a Budo, therefore they started. Others said, I heard body and mind together, I do it for health reasons. So, and I heard if you, we practice Budo, maybe I will get no dementia. And so, oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> so so there, there were so many reasons. And there's not only one solution. And I think that's a fascinating thing. So the art is old, but the artists are always new. <laughs> that's so great. I, I'd like to wrap up this, hopefully, first of maybe we can have some more in the future. But what would you, what advice would you give to students these days when, because of the pandemic, because of the lockdown, they might not have access to their dojo, they might not be connected to their community as much, or they don't, they can't do a grading, they can't do a tournament. What kind of advice would you give to this current generation of students that are struggling? Well, also from the sports science, it is said that if you have an image about a movement, this is a start for the movement. You must have a clear image. So even when you don't practice, you can work on this image. You can look, for example, good examples Today, easy by video, internet, etc. So, 
for example, you can look, can do world championships, the finals, and so what, what kind of semis do they build up and try to understand this. So you can practice without doing just a normal practice. And of course, you can do a lot of things for yourself. Everybody can practice suburi at home. Even when the ceiling is low, you can sit in Caesar and make your suburi. In Kyudo, we have the Gomuyume. Many people now, during that Corona time, they had a makiwara, so the straw butt, and put it in the garden, or I had one in the attic of my house, and we shot there. This is, of course, not the shooting like in the dojo, but you can keep your body in the condition of that movement. You can develop also the fine coordination of that. And you are still in this feeling of practice. Uh, beside that, I think this kind of mental training to be concentrated could be always supported by many other things. You could be attentive to all and everything in daily life, from toothbrushing, peeling potatoes or whatever. So if you do it with this intention, this, that this gives some benefit also for your Buddha practice, then you would not complain too much that you cannot go to the training hall. I think it's up to you to find some good, let's say, compensation and to say, okay, I, I, I take the time to observe my breathing, observe my posture. In all Buddha, you should stand straight, what is going on between the rhythm during walking and so on. So you can train your attention all the time. It, it is not bound to that you have a shinai in the end. But of course, there's another way to show it. And so therefore, of course, practicing in the dojo, practicing in a group with other together, that's a specific thing and gives you perhaps also a certain fun. But I, I think it is also possible to do a lot of things by yourself. So in the Kudo, I like to say very often, when you are on Shai, on the shooting position and you perform your eight steps, you are the loneliest person in the world. You don't need others, but you cannot learn without the others. But when you shoot, when you do your thing, you are only you. And as far as I remember my Kendo experience, it's the same. So when, when you are fighting, you must have the decision, go I in, do I attack or do I react? Am I the creator of the situation or am I the victim of the situation? <laughs> then when you look to this, and of course it's based biomechanically that you have a well-balanced body, you have to have a certain strength. To keep the body strength, all people who are doing sports can buy some rubber band and make some exercises or make some weightlifting or doing some yoga to, to enlarge your flexibility also. It is, I think, no excuse uh, to say, now we have Corona, I can do anything uh, because the hall is closed. So if you want to practice, practice. That's a great way to end this. And when you have time again, it would be great to have another conversation. Yeah. I would say I have always time, but I think we can easily find a time. So it's, That's so. great. Yeah, it Thank was you. nice to talk. And, uh, oh, I talk more than you. So, yeah. But, so, I think it's very nice that you, and fair that you let me hear it before you broadcast this. Mm -hmm. And then, yes. I think we will have the good cooperation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay. I'll talk okay. to you again soon. Thank you yeah. so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey guys, just one more thing before you head out. 
Stay up to date on latest news and announcements by subscribing to our newsletter at subscribe.tokushkai.ca or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at tokushkai.canada. We're always looking for ways to improve, so please drop us a line on ideas and guests for the show. The Inside Look podcast is a production of Tokushkai Canada, a member of the Canadian Kendo Federation and affiliated with the Japanese Canadian Cultural Centre in Toronto and the original Tokushkai Yado Club in Tokyo.